Welcome to this month's installment of Brass Chats, brought to you by Monster Oil. What is this? 21 year? Hi everyone, welcome to Brass Chats. This month's guest is one of the most famous trumpet players ever to live. He led the Tonight Show band for 25 years. He is 87 years young. He's still better at trumpet than you and I are ever going to be. And my mom had and has a crush on him still uh, since she was little. He shows absolutely no signs of slowing down the legendary Carl Doc Severinsen. It is a true honor. Thank my you pleasure. Much. My pleasure. It's good to be here with you. As the story goes, you were awesome at trumpet almost right away as soon as you picked it up. What trumpet skill was the biggest challenge for you to, to learn? Um, it came later on. As I mean, I really got off to a good start. My dad was a violin player and an excellent musician. And I won state contests and then the national contest in the uh, that weren't happening anymore. National, regional, I won that. So there was really nothing more to do there. And um, uh, I went on the road with big bands. And I'm playing a cornet with a deep cup. And all these guys are playing jazzy horns, like Martins, you know, with small mouthpieces. And in trying to keep up with them, I... I made adjustments to my embouchure, and I I didn't know anything about embouchure, but I found myself doing something that led to the kind of troubles where one day I, I couldn't get a note out of the horn. And so when I moved to New York, uh, I, I'd gotten my chops back, and but I'd had this very serious incident in my life where all for a guy who wants to make a living as a trumpet player, not to be able to play at all. And before that, things like Carnival of Venice were child's play for me. And um, so I, I found a teacher in, in New York uh, named Benny Baker. And he was uh, Arturo Toscanini's first trumpet player at one time, and he too had an accident with his lip, which uh, changed his playing, but he was still a wonderful teacher. And I walked in there, and he puts up the Arban book, and and he turned to the first uh, study in the back, you know, that mm -hmm. one, number one. So play this thing for me. I want let's find out where you are. And so he hands me uh you know, I have my trumpet there and and, and well this is not a complete horn, but anyway I I put the horn up I'm wetting my lips, getting all ready to play. And and about this time I hear him say what in the hell are you doing? I said, well, I'm getting ready to play. And he said, by the time you're ready to play and get the mouthpiece on your lips, you're going to be so screwed up that you won't be able to play anything decent anyway. And he gave me a lesson in embouchure that was short 
and sweet, and it was the start of an association uh, that lasted about 10 years. I studied with them every week. And during that time, I was probably the busiest trumpet player in New York. But the thing that was most important to me was to go and get my lesson. Mm -hmm. And uh, he had a stroke and had to stop teaching. And I was, <laughs> I just I went to him, I said, What'll I do? You know, it was so inconsiderate. Here, he's just had a stroke. Can't teach anymore. And I'm saying, but what about me? What about me? <laughs> <laughs> and he says, well, it's like this. All you have to remember is one thing that I taught you. Just this one. If you get in trouble, just remember tension and relaxation. Put that horn up quickly, set up, and go. And that's what I've lived with ever since. Very and cool. uh, I do have chop problems now and then. Everybody does. Mm -hmm. and, and the only guy I ever met who never had a bad day on the trumpet was Ray Crisera, who was a great player and taught... Uh, played with the NBC Symphony and mm -hmm. numerous other orchestras. But one of the best technically stable players I've ever heard of. And he honestly said, somebody asked him, have you ever had a bad day? He said, no, never. And he was so simple. He did just what my teacher said. Be relaxed, put the mouthpiece up there, take your breath, set, and blow. That's great and simple advice, and I'm going to take that with me. Keeping in the vein of trumpet, uh, you know, trumpet nerd talk, I want to know about your endurance. It's legendary. Uh, to say you've played some demanding programs in your time is obviously a massive understatement. Um, how do you build this endurance, how do you maintain it? Are there exercises? Um, how's, how's that worked for you? Well, first of all, you have to be in good physical condition. And I work out and have for years. Mm -hmm. I know I don't look it now because I just had a bad couple of days, you know, I ate something bad and that doesn't help. But I work out, first of all, and I used to work out when I was younger. And um, I try to maintain a, a very good embouchure, strong. And if, if you're good and strong in here and relaxed here, and you use plenty of air, and you maintain control and don't panic, you should be able to play for long periods of time. However, it varies for different people. Some people just are not physically set up to to play for long periods of time. What I found that really helped me was in the St. Jacobs book, those characteristic studies in the back that are about two or three pages long. I figured out, well, just, let's see. If I could play an entire St. Jacobs etude 
all the way through and never stop for anything and then give myself a little rest and then go on to the next one, the same thing from the beginning to the end. There's more there than you're ever going to encounter as a professional trumpet player or an amateur player for that matter. And um, I found that when I had gotten uh, all of this collated in my system that um, my body was in the habit of being able to play at long periods of time. And I'm 87 years old. What do you think? The, the, when I wake up in the morning, I'm thinking about when I'm going to practice, what I'm going to practice, and how long I'm going to practice. So what keeps you hungry after all this time? Why? I mean, you've the accomplished so much. The fear of failure. Many. Fear of failure. You know, I mean, let's face it. The trumpet is like walking up a tightrope over Niagara Falls. The, the consequences, if you really screw up on a trumpet, everybody can hear it. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> so I, I, I try to... I guess fear, fear of failure, or, you know, trying to make as sure as I possibly can that I don't do something embarrassing. What trumpet techniques do you think people in general, or young students even today, pay too much attention to? Pay too much attention mm -hmm. to? What do you wish people would spend less time <clears throat> doing? I would like to see them spend less time on um, studying techniques of being real clean players and then they go to a college and they, they teach them how to audition for a symphony orchestra and they get to where they are just calm, cool and collected and they can go in and do a very nice audition except for one thing. They can play all the notes but they can't make music. What what good is it if you play perfectly and don't miss a note? That that can be impressive to a lot of symphony conductors but the few who know will say alright but when do you start making music? And um, So what does making music mean to you? If I just come to you and I say, Doc, I'm going to play this etude for you, and I play it perfect, all the dynamic that's written is there. I don't miss a note. It's all pretty in tune, and I think, man, that was great. I killed that. And inside your head, you're thinking, that wasn't music. What's it missing? What can I do better? Is it something that you can teach? Yes. <clears throat> the best thing to do, that right offhand, what comes to my mind, is listening to really great opera singers. Not rock and roll singers, opera singers, and how they use their air, and how they make the phrases connect up one with the other. Um, you, you just have to have someone supervising you at first who can guide you by saying, like, you know, the 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 uh, etude in uh, Charlier, mm -hmm. 
That's two. the best one I know. It's it can reveal somebody who's a, spent a lot of time learning how to not miss any notes and have lip to finish and everything. But ninety nine percent of the time, they don't really make music out of it. I had a teacher who. Between my father and my teacher, I never heard one single word that pertained to playing a trumpet. It was all violin and singing. And um, uh, if you learn how to play one piece of music so that you've made a good interpretation of it, and you know, made music out of it, the chances are if you get another piece to play, you're going to do the same thing. Um, you know, music is not terribly complicated. And if you, if you learn how to look at a piece and see and hear and feel where the music is, in fact, a friend of mine who was the associate conductor in Milwaukee, I was going to do uh, and did do uh, Un Bel D from Madame Butterfly as a trumpet solo. And he came in and conducted it for me. When when we got through, I just felt, oh boy, that was wonderful. And I asked him, I said, how did you learn to conduct opera so well. His mother was a very famous opera singer and his father was a musician. I said, so did you, by being around opera? He says, no, I just go where the music is. And that sounds like a third dimensional escape hatch, but it really isn't. Mm -hmm. You don't just sit down and start playing a tune. <clears throat> you look at it first, you hear the melody, and and you see how to use your air to give you the phrases so that you complete the whole piece of music. Okay. <clears throat> if you were 16 years old today, in today's musical landscape, what path do you think your career would take? Well... I have a lot of familiarity with the service bands. Uh, most of all, the Air Force. Um, and I see great possibilities to be, if you're a very good musician, to get up past the auditions and be a member of one of the service bands like the one you're in. Um, it, it provides security, but yet an opportunity to make some really nice music. Um, one thing that has been true from the very beginning, I guess, is that you have to learn to be very versatile. Uh, when I was coming up, you couldn't think of, well, I just want to play in a symphony orchestra or I want to play in a big band. Yeah, do it all. So, um, I, I was meeting the 
Tommy Dorsey band for the first time when I was 14 years old. And Ziggy Ullman, the jazz trumpet player, and uh, he was Michael Sachs' teacher. Mm-hmm. And um, he said, kid, just remember this. Be versatile. Know how to play all kinds of music. You can always make a living that way. And uh, <laughs> very practical suggestion, but uh, he could do it and did. When did you know or when did you realize that trumpet, playing trumpet was what you wanted to do for your living? Was there a moment where you said, that's it, I got to do this for my job? Well, of course, when I started out and it was new and I was good at it, um, even as just a little kid at seven, um, I thought, oh, this is nice. And, um, but I went on the road, I practiced, went on the road, played with big bands. Then I settled in New York. And it was very uncertain. I had a wife and a couple of kids. And I thought, how am I going to be able to make a real living and raise a family like this? And I was playing at the time with Vaughn Monroe's orchestra. Vaughn is from here in Boston, by mm-hmm. the way. And um, we were playing on a television show, and his own, he had his own show on television. And um, I played in the band for a period of time. And one of the fiddle players that I remember was Sal Spinelli. And I had said one day, you know, Sal, I'm going to go up to Columbia University and uh, take an aptitude test to tell me what I could study in college to have a more reliable career. And he said, why are you doing that? I said, well, I'm afraid I won't be able to support a family. He looked at me and he said, you know what? I'd like to have 10% of what you're going to make in the rest of your life. <laughs> and I said, Are, you, you really think that? He says, well, yes. And uh, it gave me the courage to stick with music. Um, so in that same vein, you've worked incredibly hard. Everybody knows that. But you were also quite talented, as you said, from a really young age. And you were hired while you were still in high school to go on the road with the Ted Fiorito Orchestra, right? Uh, But that stint was cut short by getting drafted uh, into the Army during World War II. And we talked a little bit about that before this interview got going um, and about your World War II experience in the finance office and and what a great, great experience that was for you. But trumpet-wise, you're working, gigging, you're getting your momentum up, right? You're going on the road with this band, and then all of a sudden, boom, you're drafted. I'm curious to know about your mental state right then. Oh no, I've worked so hard and now it's going down the tubes because I got to go to the army. I can't pick up the trumpet again for however many years it might be. What was going through your head? How did you deal with that? Well, I'll tell you what I did. I'll never forget the first night I was in the army. We were still in the induction center, you know. And I'm lying in this bunk, listening to a bunch of guys snore and said, this does not look good. But I had my cornet there with me, under the bed. 
And so I came out of the induction center and I went to basic training. Took my cornet with me, had it under the bed. Once in a while I'd take it out and practice a little bit. Mm -hmm. But very early on, I heard that they were having a talent contest at the, the, uh, at the service club, you know, mm -hmm. where the guys have no stripes, nothing, sure. can get a Coke and a hamburger. And so sure enough, they were having a, a talent contest. And I took out my cornet and I played a tune that I'd played with Ted Fiorita's band called Melancholy Baby. You know, that's an old standard. And I stood up and played it like my life depended on it, with no accompaniment. Mm -hmm. And when the little show was over, there's a guy came up who had as many stripes as you could have on your arms. <laughs> and an, an older guy, and he said, uh, what the hell are you doing here? I said, I just came over to play in the contest because I want to get in a band and they won't put me in a band. They say, no, we need soldiers and uh, to shoot guns and things like that. And I, I just, just desperate to, to play with something. And he said, well, you know, uh, I'm in special services. And we have a band there called the Top Hatters. And it's like uh, a 10 or 12 piece band, but I think they're missing a trumpet player. And uh, if they rehearsed tomorrow night, told me where the barracks was. And he said, I think if you drop over there, they ought to hear you play. He said, you could play with them. So I get over there. And here's a bunch of guys like 38, 40, 42, 35 that had gotten drafted in who were musicians and were trying to keep a low profile. A lot of them had been corporate executives and all that, but they didn't want to be kept over by enlisting. They wanted to just stay draftees. Mm -hmm. And I played about three notes and said, you got the job. And and uh, after I was playing with them, I would get up in the morning, play Reveille for our training company, train all day in the pouring rain and the cold, and then quick take a shower, put on my my good outfit, you know, yeah. whatever you call that, the dress outfit, mm -hmm. and hurry like hell to get over to the barracks where the band, this little band was, the Top Hatters, and we played every place on the post. We were the busiest band there. Doc, what's your proudest career achievement? Um, the longevity of it would be one thing, but if you want to pick out one particular day when I had a performance that I walked off stage and said, I did good. Yeah. I did real good. That's very hard for me to do. 
or I'll, or, you know, I walk off and people say, God, man, you sounded great. And I said, well, it's just one piece. I did that wrong or something else. And, but I'll get it better next time. Mm -hmm. And my wife says things to me like, why don't you learn how to be gracious and, and just say, thank you very much when somebody <laughs> gives you a compliment. I can't do that. I'm, I, I'm You're a perfectionist. It's hard. Uh, yeah, but it it makes it difficult for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. um, repeat the question again. Uh, it was, what's your proudest career achievement? Okay. But you were going on, you were starting right. to talk about one perfect I, I, concert. I, I, I was setting it up. Yeah. And it was the Hollywood Bowl with the Los Angeles Symphony. I'd had a concerto written for me by a friend of mine. And it, at that point in my life, was the hardest thing I'd ever played. And by then, I'm a, a very mature person, mm -hmm. you know, like in my 50s, maybe. And here I am with this great orchestra, and Larry Foster just knew right what how to do this whole piece. And I was nervous as a, a, a cat, really. And I got my chops together, did a good warm-up. And when I tell you that piece was difficult, it was about that close to being unplayable. Mm -hmm. And I went out there and I knocked that sucker right out of the park. <laughs> and it was the first time that I ever said, wow, I really played good tonight. And I got a rave review in Billboard magazine. And uh, the guys in the orchestra were all, a lot of them were friends of mine, but you know, they got serious for them and say, hey, man, you played that thing. <laughs> and great. to this day, when somebody says, what was the highest part of your career? I'd have to say that night. Yeah. Um, all right, let's do some photos. We got some photos that are going to jog your memory. Um, and what we would love to have you do is just say a word or a phrase <clears throat> or a short snippet that that thing evokes. I'll do my best. For you. Fantastic. All right. No, I'm not gay. <laughs> oh no, let me bring it back up. <laughs> Technical error. There it is. This one? Next one, yeah. That's me saying, do you believe that sh <laughs> I must be in heaven because God is playing first trumpet. <laughs> a one and a two. <laughs> That's me and my daughter Nancy. Mm -hmm. And I'm the thought that's in my mind is, why don't you marry a nice dentist? <laughs> <laughs> this is not hard. I'll never miss another high F as long as I live. <laughs> Why 
way down yonder in New Orleans. Way down yonder in New Orleans. <laughs> I'm dressed for Mardi Gras. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> Are you sure this is where I'm supposed to be? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, Mr. President, <laughs> you missed the note. <laughs> oh, sorry, that's from my personal collection. I'll just go ahead and move that one out. Uh, Johnny hated to have pictures taken. <laughs> and, and and he had just had let him know that it was about time to end it all. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know what the hell Ed and I were doing there. <laughs> Ed was thinking, why don't you shut up so I can get a drink? <laughs> and I'm turning it back. Oh. And and I'm I'm saying to Johnny, you know, you have a beautiful embouchure. <laughs> <laughs> you can do any less swipe. That is, um, Byron, Byron Stripling, I think. Yep. Oh man, this singing <laughs> is easy. <laughs> I wish I had your job. <laughs> Are you sure Xavier Koo got started like this? <laughs> the United States Coast Guard Band is the greatest band in the history of man and will remain so until the end of time. <laughs> That's perfect. All right, the photo segment is complete. Thank you, Doc. That was fantastic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is now time for the moment you've been waiting for. This is Doc Severinsen completing the Monster Round, in which I ask you a series of short, serious, and not serious questions, and you respond at the, uh, the, the top thought in your, in your brain at that point. Here we go. Are you ready, sir, for the Monster Round? I guess so. All right. What's your favorite mute? The Harmon mute that I got recently from, uh, I think it's Drum Corps or Trump Corps. Corps. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, I asked them to make a Harmon mute because I had had this great French made Harmon mute that was very old and it was just wonderful. And they brought me pictures of old mutes and we did a lot of research, and they came up with a Harmon mute that was would blow your mind. I'm sold. I'll check it out. What's your favorite symphony? 
The Mahler Third. What's the best orchestra you've ever conducted? The Minnesota Orchestra. If you had one mulligan, one do-over in your entire life, what would it be? To be a better husband. What's the most beautiful place on planet Earth? Whatever stairwell I find to practice in. That goes along with the next question, which is, what is your favorite place to play the trumpet? In a stairwell of proper proportions made out of cement and steel and where you can hear uh, the echo is about 10 seconds long. Have I got a parking garage for you? We'll talk afterwards. Uh, most impressive physical slash exercise accomplishment. What's your most impressive physical and or exercise accomplishment? Oh, um, I did a um, plank Yeah. for 10 minutes. 10 minutes? Yeah. I can't even do one. Come on, ten. When did you do that? Oh, two or three years ago. <laughs> uh, I mean, I I was in my eighties. We should sure. all be. We should all be so lucky. If you had to erase, just wipe clean slate all of your trumpet skills and completely replace them with the skills of one other player, either today or from history, who would you pick? Ray Crucero. Who's your favorite superhero? Um, Stub Bartlemy. <laughs> I don't know who that is, Doc. I'm sorry. Stub Bartlemy was a rodeo cowboy from near my hometown. <laughs> really? And I thought he was the stud of the world. And, and to all of us kids in Arlington, Oregon, population 600, he was king. All right. Uh, you already mentioned the hardest piece that you've ever played. That was the concerto written for you by, who was it again? Who wrote you your concerto? Stephen Paulus. Fantastic. Uh, if you could have one superpower, what would it be? To be able to sit down every day for the rest of my life and put the trumpet up and have it feel perfect and enjoyable. What country or what concert location gave you the warmest reception? Um, United States. Name three trumpet players that you would pay to hear right now. Rafael Mendez, Miles Davis, and Louis Armstrong. If you could be a member of any rock band in history, which one would you pick? Chicago. What's your favorite food? Um, Italian. 
doing it all over again your whole career, which of today's late night TV shows would you have wanted to be the band leader of? The Tonight Show. What do you like better, puppies or ice cream? Puppies. What's wrong with ice cream? Nothing is wrong with it. But you, Jake, did you ever try to pet an ice cream cone? <laughs> that's, that's a fair point, Doc. All right. What's your favorite way to stay in shape? Working out, uh, doing an ultra slow workout with my coach down in Mexico. What does that usually entail? Weights? Uh, it's all weights. All weights. But um, for people who say, oh, well, yes, but you don't get the, uh, the you know, stimulation for your breathing, mm -hmm. that is crap. Okay. You, do, you do those exercises ultra slow mm -hmm. with heavy weights. Uh, you're you're going to stimulate your breathing. Good to know. Speaking of breathing, who has smoked more cigars? You, Arturo Sandoval, or Michael Jordan? Me. And I'll tell you why. All right, I'm ready. Because Arturo Sandoval and I had a three-hour session in Milwaukee when I smoked cigars. I smoked four to his one. And he said, he laughed at me, and he said, you know what you are? You're the fastest cigar smoker in the world. That's hard evidence as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Well, he would know. Last monster question, Doc. Can I have your autograph? Of course. Bam. <laughs> Signing my Arvin book. No, I'm keeping the book. Oh, you can keep it. I'll tear off the cover, though. I, I've moved so many times I lost my Arben book. And I have one of the original editions. I mean, it's hardcover. It's, it's incredible. Well, in that case, let me sign it, and you can take mine. Okay, that'll good. <laughs> All right, we'll sign it right one on top of the other. Bam. All right, your turn. Right big. <laughs> Doc, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for spending time with us Well, today. you guys are an inspiration to, you know, the old timers nowadays. Ah, these kids today, they don't know anything. They don't want to know how to work. They've got no ambition. They're stupid is what they are. I say, you're full of <laughs> Jim. These guys, <laughs> these guys are doing a full-time job with the Coast Guard Band in New London, Connecticut. They have to practice their rear ends off, and the three of them got together and started a company that is a success. And I compliment you on it. I mean, you know, life isn't that difficult, is it? No. If you, you said it earlier. You yeah. said it earlier. If you're not having fun, if music and trumpet isn't fun, and that extends to everything don't else. Don't do it. Don't do it. You're doing it wrong. No. And um, I think no matter what you do in life, 
you have to re-energize yourself maybe almost every time, every day, driving to work, remind yourself how lucky you are.